0: Welcome back or welcome to 10 Minute Dharma. My name is Bavin, and I'm your host. 10 Minute Dharma is a podcast where I share my journey and inquiry into Hinduism, comparative religion, spirituality, and philosophy in about 10 minutes, give or take, depending on the topic, of course. Although, (laughs) uh, once again, I am a little over 10 minutes. This is way harder than I thought it would be, but I'll eventually bring them down to the right time. Iterate, fail, and repeat, as I always say. Anyways, with this podcast, my intention is not to convert individuals or promote Hinduism or any religion by, the, by that matter. Rather, I'm simply sharing what I'm learning about Hinduism and other faiths in a grounded way to educate people. I simply wish the way I practice Hinduism makes you a better human, whether you're religious or not. If you want to learn more on why I started this podcast, please listen to the intro episode linked in the show notes. These first episodes are really important and serve as a foundation for the entire podcast going forward. It's been quite challenging and quite a learning experience as I try to suss things out. I hope to record episodes weekly for as long as I can, albeit with some breaks in between, of course. Life can throw curveballs, so we'll see how it all goes. There's a Mike Tyson quote that I keep in the back of my mind. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And on that note, in an ironic plot twist of life, I wrote this episode's script about a week ago. Several days ago, I actually injured my left adductor and hip flexors. I guess this is what Mike Tyson was referring to about getting punched. I told myself, no, I'm going to launch this podcast even if it means recording in bursts over a week. I'm doing this no matter what. The worst thing you can do in an injury is stay idle. I've been through these enough times that I know that I just need to keep doing something despite how hard it is. So, I had to act, which is a great segue into what I want to cover in this episode. In this weird roundabout way, I think God wanted me to be in pain and be injured for this episode as a symbolic representation of what I want to discuss. And you'll understand why in a few minutes. Now, it made sense to start off with a quick introduction of one of our pillar texts, the Bhagavad Gita, or the Gita for short. So, what is it exactly? It's a poem. But it's actually a poem, part of a larger epic called the Mahabharata, which, surprise, surprise, is also a poem. And it's actually one of the world's longest poems ever recorded in human history. It contains over 100,000 verses, over 1.8 million Sanskrit words, and it's almost tenfold longer than the Greek epic, the Iliad. You know, the one with the Trojan horse, Odysseus, and Brad Pitt. I know you're not going to read the Iliad, so I might as well plug the film, which is such a great film, by the way. Now let's continue. It's further divided into 18 parvas, or books. This is not a trivial piece of literature by any means. While there is some debate on the historicity of the events, there is archaeological evidence to suggest that some version of the Mahabharata took place. Nevertheless, it still serves as an excellent allegory for Hindu and Vedic philosophy. You may notice me use Hindu philosophy or Vedic philosophy. I use the two terms interchangeably. But I try to stick to Vedic philosophy as much as I can. Vedic is in reference to the Vedas which is another older body of Hindu scripture. That's for another time because I finally found an English unabridged version that I can finally start sifting through. I'll give a tiny snippet of the situation in the Mahabharata. I don't think giving a full plot summary is appropriate at this time. Actually, full disclosure, aside from the Gita, I only read some parts of the Mahabharata, but I grew up with my parents' videotapes of the Indian TV drama and recently I've been finding clips on YouTube and it's been quite a trip down memory lane. Moving on though, I am familiar with the story, but I feel it will be incredibly dishonest to give you a summary without at least me reading it first. But let's get to it. The Mahabharata is a throne succession conflict in a kingdom between two family lines of the deceased ruler King Kuru. The Pandavas led by King Pandu and the Kuruvas led by King Dhritarashtra. That's a hard name to pronounce in Sanskrit by the way. King Pandu had five sons. And King Dittarashtra had 100. Yes, that's right, 100. We'll save it for another time for good reason. Believe it or not, this is actually a weird, wacky reference to what might have been in vitro fertilization to produce the 100 sons. Again, for another time. So the kingdom of Kuruksetra is basically up for grabs and there's a conflict between the two groups of cousins. The two sides also take different political stances, therefore the succeeding family will shape the kingdom for generations. So there's a lot at stake here. It also sounds like a lot of typical family drama, but it just goes to show you not much changes across cultures and time. Now of course, there's a whole bunch that leads up to the battle between the two lines of cousins, but this is where the Bhagavad Gita starts. The Gita is only a small portion of the Mahabharata, and it's a portion of Book 6, the Book of Bhishma. Referring to the first line of the Gita, the battle takes place on the holy field of Gurukshetra and the land of Dharma. This is one of the more famous references to the word Dharma, aside from this podcast, of course. What? It's true. Anywho, Dharma implies that this is a land of conduct, morals, and high standing. It can also mean quality or a good manifestation of character. Dharma doesn't refer to a specific spot of land, but rather the earth itself and our relationship to the earth and how we act. The best definition that I came up for Dharma is a method in which you conduct your duty which manifests your actions and path in life. How you understand your duty snowballs over time with mindful practice of Vedic philosophy. Each of us has our own destined dharma. Hindu symbolism and Vedic philosophy is heavily rooted in ecology, so much like animals, we each have to occupy our niche. A dolphin's niche, or dharma, is not compatible with an ant's, but by keeping to the respective dharma, nature functions. We have to apply this concept the same way to individuals. Each individual is almost like their own species. And if we all live in our respective niches, nature functions. I'll link a diagram from one of my ecology notes from when I took ecology in university that illustrates niches, which might help you visualize this concept further. But why is the Gita so important? It serves as the easiest digestible source of Vedic philosophy and a Hindu way of life. Theoretically, you can kind of ignore everything else in Hinduism, including the Vedas, And read only the Gita and still be up to speed on Vedic philosophy. The Gita catalogues a conversation between Krishna, who is a reincarnation of God in human form, and of course, our protagonist, Arjuna, son of King Pandu of the Pandavas. This is the family with only 5 sons, if it helps you remember. In the Gita, Arjuna decides not to fight in the looming battle because the opposing belligerents are his cousins. He doesn't want to kill family, and it will destabilize the region, not to mention the loss of life on both sides. Thereby, he relinquished his duty as a warrior leader, despite his powers as a demigod. One can argue though that Arjuna was noble in his decision not to fight, but this is where context is really important. The Gita is specifically about Krishna explaining how Arjuna has a dharma or duty to fulfill and that not fulfilling his duty in this particular situation will lead to a worse outcome for everyone. Throughout the poem, Krishna describes Vedic philosophy in an effort to convince Arjuna to uphold his duty and fight a just war. One of the core lessons of the Gita, if the situation calls for it, you have a duty to fight, which is an important juxtaposition given the passive nature of Hinduism. Let me give an example. I'll show a verse from the Gita that ties to this point and will also be a good sample for how to read the Gita with a rhythm because Sanskrit is naturally melodic siddhim this verse translates to one cannot achieve freedom from karmic reaction by merely abstaining from work nor one can attain perfection of knowledge by mere physical renunciation. This was chapter 3, verse 4. The audio and translation is from theholybhagavagita.org. This is one of the best and free online resources for the Gita available. It's not perfect, but it's quite good. I use it alongside what I think is the best academic translation of the Gita. Both are in the show notes for your perusal. So what this verse means is that you can't just become a monk, live in austerity and be enlightened. I love this verse because it demonstrates the pragmatism of Hinduism. For most people, balance is key. One needs to take action to develop a pure mind and stay balanced with their reality. In Arjuna's case, he has to fight a just war. That's his Dharma. This verse also makes me chuckle because it shows why I find it comical sometimes when people renounce or remove themselves from their environment, physical possessions, and meditate all day in a forest or a monastery, expecting some sort of enlightenment that's going to magically happen. In fact, I would argue it will take you in the opposite direction. Spiritual development is a lot more subtle. I think for a small minority people, this is their dharma, but for most of us, it's not and it won't help us. Look at Arjuna, a central figure in Hinduism and a demigod, who is directly told by Krishna aka God, hey, get your shit together and fight, you are not a monk. And on that note, I think that might be the line that perfectly summarizes the Gita in contemporary English. Applying it back to my life, I still have a dharma or duty to fulfill despite my injury. I know one of my duties in life is to work on this podcast, so I'll do everything in my power to keep this going. As I work on my podcast, despite my limited mobility, I never felt freer. I had every excuse not to work right now, but I'm not going to use it. This includes my full-time job. I took two sick days and I went right back to it. Voluntary struggle through voluntary action is vital to our existence. So there you have it. The Gita is a rich nuanced commentary on Dharma and Vedic philosophy that we'll dissect over many episodes. With some profanity, of course, because I like using comedy to hit a point home when appropriate. I just gave you a small sample, but I think this is a good enough introduction for all of you right now. However, before I end, I recognize this may not be the first time you heard about the Gita. A lot of people are aware of Vedic philosophy through the practice of yoga, but some non-Hindus first introduction to the Gita is through an unexpected source, Dr. J. Robert Oppenheimer. Dr. Oppenheimer was one of the scientists on the Manhattan Project, where they were tasked with constructing the atomic bomb during World War II. He went on camera paraphrasing a verse in the Gita after they detonated the atomic bomb, subtly expressing his deep regret of humanity's savagery. Let me play it for you. We knew the world would not be the same. Silent... That one way or I want to highlight that he says Vishnu instead of Krishna. This is technically correct, but we'll unpack that in a week or two for good measure. Even so, the way Dr. Oppenheimer speaks in reference to the verse gives me chills to this day. In fact, filmmakers also use this segment of Dr. Oppenheimer's speech for the first teaser trailer of the 2014 remake of Godzilla, which to this day is my favorite movie trailer of all time. The way they combined 2001 Space Odyssey's famous score, Requiem for a Soprano, and Oppenheimer's speech was pure genius. I grew up with all the original Godzilla films, so it meant a lot to me when I saw this trailer cut with reference to one of my other favorite films, 2001 Space Odyssey, and Dr. Oppenheimer's reference to Hinduism. A special little sentimental remix. It's in the show notes for your enjoyment. I also hope director Christopher Nolan filmed and recreated a scene with Dr. Oppenheimer mentioning the Gita in his new movie coming out. Oppenheimer. It will be a great nod to Dr. Oppenheimer's didactic qualities and of course Hinduism. So, let's wrap up. In summary, the Mahabharata is an ancient Indian epic written as a long poem. There is a succession conflict for the throne of the kingdom of Kurukshetra between two family lineages, the Pandus and the Kuravas. Inside the epic, there is a part called the Bhagavad Gita, which is a poetic conversation between Krishna, a reincarnation of God in human form, talking to Arjuna, one of the sons of King Pandu, on his need to fight a just war by explaining important aspects of Hindu or Vedic philosophy. That's it for this week's 10 Minute Dharma. Next week we'll go over the first set of what I call Hindu first principles. This is to help develop a foundational understanding of Hinduism. I came up with these first principles because no one really has documented the fundamentals of Hinduism in a way that I think is clear and useful for anyone trying to understand Hinduism and Vedic philosophy. I take an engineering systems approach to establish some ground truths so we can start expanding our knowledge like branches of a tree. But without a tree trunk of first principles, this will be near impossible. Thank you for listening. May you find and act on your Dharma.